it was in the early 1600s when the King of England, King James I, declared that he is now the head of the church in England, as well as its government, of course. With this new authority, he demanded that all churches conform to his will. Well, a Baptist pastor by the name of Thomas Helwis pushed back on that by writing a book entitled A Short Day of the Mystery of Iniquity, wherein he insisted that the king had no right to dictate to persons and to churches what to believe. Helwis sent a copy of the book to King James with a personal note attached to it, and in it he the king is a mortal man and not God, and therefore has no power over the immortal souls of his subjects to make laws and ordinances for them and to set spiritual lords over them. For that biblical truth, Helwis was put in prison and eventually he died in prison, refusing to recognize anyone other than the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord of the churches. 16th century is the same way is true for all early Christians in the Roman Empire. They were either imprisoned, tortured, and put to death, all because of a single confession that they made. Christ is Lord. We are in a sermon series entitled We Believe and in it we will examine our distinctive doctrinal beliefs as Baptists. We began our series last week when Pastor Julio admonished us that we as believers should always to give a reason for our hope. That we are to know why we believe what we believe and to show or to communicate to the lost world that belief, that hope with respect and humility. Today I will be talking about the basic foundational Christian doctrine from which other Baptist distinctive beliefs are derived from. And that is the Lordship. Of Jesus Christ. You see, the word Lord associated to Jesus Christ in the New Testament, and it was used to address him more than 700 times. Well, something tells me that if that's the number, it becomes important to understand what this means in the literary sense when he wrote this and its implications for us as believers in the practical sense. So let me begin with the scriptural or literary understanding of Jesus is Lord. Some 300 years before Jesus came, the Testament was translated from Hebrew, its original language, to Greek. That translation was called the Septuagint. You might recall in the book of Exodus that God revealed his divine name to Moses when, they were, when Moses 
Sinai and that was the, the uh, where there was a burning bush and Moses was talking to God. In Exodus 3, the story reads this way. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. And so when the Hebrew Old Testament was translated to Greek, the divine name, as you will see in Hebrew, used in there is Yahweh. It's Y-H-W-H in our alphabet. And when it was translated to Greek, the Greek word that was used for Yahweh was kurios. Fast forward 300 years later, the New Testament, as you all may know, was written in Greek. When the New Testament authors used the word kurios, the intent was for the readers to understand and associate the divinity of Jesus Christ. In our English Bibles today, when we see the word Lord in the New Testament, it is the English translation of the Greek word Curious. Thus we can deduce something logical that goes something like this. Jesus is Lord in the New Testament. Jesus is Curious. That's the Greek. Jesus is Yahweh, the Old Testament name for God, which means Jesus is God. Let me cite a couple of New Testament passages for you. That's so you see, when Matthew wrote his gospel and associated the word kurios to Jesus, we will notice that the context has to do with the miraculous powers of Jesus Christ, something only God can do. Let me read to you Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 8. It says there, When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, curious, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. And then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And then when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve that you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. And you know what happened after that? Jesus healed the servant without needing to go there. In fact, our main passage in Philippians chapter 2 is more explicit about Jesus' deity. Verses 6 to 9 in Philippians 
reads this way. It says there, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in, na in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father instances in the New Testament and even the New Testament passages that lend support to Jesus's deity most of it you can find in either Hebrews or John. And I recommend that if you have free time, read John and Hebrews. And it's going to show you a lot about Jesus. And so whenever we read the word Lord associated with Jesus in the New Testament, the author's intent was to tell his readers that not only was Jesus master, but more so it pertains to his divine nature. As God, the Baptist distinctive belief on soul competency and religious freedom flows from the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But I will not be talking about that today. So again, from a literary and scriptural or scriptural it is undeniably clear Jesus is Lord means Jesus is God. This is the bedrock belief and confession of all Christianity. And as Baptists, we adhere to this belief. Do you all believe that? Amen. Very silent. Do you all believe that? All right. If we believe that, then why don't we declare all together Jesus is Lord? All together. Jesus is Lord. Amen. Romans 10, 9 to 10 says, If you with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. From its literary meaning, let me now proceed to expounding Jesus is Lord as a personal confession and belief. Let me shift gears here a little bit and make this declaration more personal. Notice I underlined the word you. Uh, I want us all to understand that it means something on a personal level. Confessing Jesus as Lord or Jesus is Lord has huge implications for us believers that goes way beyond mere mental assent or mere agreeing with the statement. To confess means to acknowledge, to let it be known that you agree, to affirm. What's more important other than simply agreeing or confessing is to profess or to lay claim to. 
Jesus is my Lord. My Lord. You see, we profess what we believe in. Otherwise, we're making a fool of ourselves, right? And so, if that is what we truly believe, then our beliefs must match our To put that in a question form, does my confession match my action? I submit to you three practical points here that may somehow guide you in answering that question. The first recognize his lordship or the recognition of his lordship. As believers, we all know that, that the moment we sincerely believe and receive Jesus into our lives as the son of God who died for me or for us, for our sins, the gateway to eternal life opens up. 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. This is the good news. The gospel itself, God stepped into the dimension in time in the person of his son Jesus Christ to redeem sinful mankind by dying on the cross for our sins. And after three days, he resurrected to conquer sin and death for all of us once and for all. Eternal life and everything about begins when we recognize and accept Jesus into our lives. But it doesn't stop there. A lot of believers have no problem about making Jesus as their Savior. It's thing, right? I always joke about this. I say it's fire insurance. But when it comes to his lordship in our lives, that's where most or some of us may struggle. Why? Because his that when we confess and recognize him as Lord, he demands taking over the driver's seat and steers our lives into the direction of his will. In every aspect of our lives, he is either Lord or not at all. So what does recognition of his lordship mean? How can we get a good grasp on what lordship, that lordship is? Let me have scripture answer that question. Colossians chapter 1. 15 to 19. Man, I love this passage. It says there, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or, or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Let me repeat. All things have been created through Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ. And it is he who is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything, he might have the supremacy. Verse 
For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That amazing. Which takes me to my second point. If I recognize that Jesus is my Lord, it means I should yield to his lordship by submitting to his authority. All the first part of what Jesus said in the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18. It started there. Verse 18 reads this way. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. If we believe Jesus has all the authority in heaven and on earth, submission to his authority as Lord is expected of us. Let me read to you a definition of what submission means. I, I googled this. Submission means the action or fact of accepting or yielding to a superior force or to the will or authority of another person's. Hence, to submit, the verb for submission to Jesus means to yield to an authority in our lives. You know, it takes humility to submit to someone, right? When we worship, when we bow down, when we kneel in the presence of the one we worship, this is the posture that indicates our submission. People who struggle Submission to authority are usually prideful or have control issues. For the prideful, they view submission to God as a form of weakness. For those who have control issues, there's this delusion that somehow they can navigate circumstances and go and lead their lives to the direction that they wish to without asking God to guide them. Well, more often than not, they end up frustrated, disappointed, angry, or even angry when life doesn't go their way. Well, let me emphasize this next statement. Submission to Christ is so important because it sets the order and direction in our lives. Let me repeat that. Submission or to Jesus is so important because it sets the order and direction in our lives. It brings honor to God. It pleases Him. Submission seems restrictive when we hear that word. But in fact, submission to God, it also protects us. A story is told about a driver in New Zealand who hates wearing seatbelts because it's such an annoyance to him. He has been caught and fined 32 times for not wearing seatbelts while driving. So to avoid getting caught again, he decided to rely on deception by wearing a fake seatbelt. I don't know how that looks like, but I haven't worn a fake seatbelt. Well, the trick worked for a while. 
But it didn't take long until the Associated Press wrote this in February 22 of 2008. They reported, fake seatbelt to fool police causes death of a New Zealander. It's the same way when we submit to God's authority. We will always end up thankful that we did. You know, a kingdom has to have a king. The kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ is king. Christ being king has the sole authority over all his subjects. His subjects are the believers in him. So, when the king tells his subjects to do something that they should do, what should be the subject's response? Obey, right? <laughs> it is obedience. Which brings me to my last point. When we confess that Jesus is Lord, it implies obedience to his commands. Luke 6 uh, reads this way. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Well, it clearly implies that for us to call Jesus Lord, Lord, we should be obedient to what he tells us. Here's more. Matthew 7, 22. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles then I will tell them plainly I never knew you away from me you evildoers man did you get that there are those who will address Lord but they are fake Christians if you look at verse 22, and, and if I may read that, did we not prophesy in your, in, your, in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name? Did we not do miracles in your name? You see, notice as well that they were there only for the show. Yes, they were able to perform spectacular gifts, Bible scholars say these are spectacular gifts when the Holy Spirit descended. How it comes to obedience by denying themselves, they probably preferred to live the li their lives the way they want to. Interesting. Discipleship requires obedience, but obedience has a cost. Chapter 9, 23 to 25. And then he said to them all, it says in verse 23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? After Dietrich Bonhoeffer reflected on these words from Jesus, he later wrote in his book, 
when Jesus calls a man, he bids him to come and die. I heard some of you know that already. The legitimate believers are those who will do or follow God's word. Those who obey him and are fully surrendered to his lordship. Do you struggle to obey Jesus? Do you still compromise in some areas of your life or your faith walk? Has the Holy Spirit been nudging you to do something you keep ignoring or avoiding him? Is Jesus Lord of your relationship or your relationships? What about your finances? Is Jesus Lord of your finances? Your plans, your thought life, your desires, your job. Jesus, Lord of your decision-making, your problems. Is Jesus Lord in every aspect of your life? Will you go wherever he calls you? Will you obey him? Will you follow wherever he leads you to come and die to yourself? Now, please hear me. Struggle is real for as long as we are still in the flesh. However, the evidence of true discipleship is that somehow there is a progression toward total surrender and dying to self daily. And as most of you may know, it's called sanctification. You know, I, I hold this sense of admiration and high esteem for missionaries to me, they are a great example of those who left everything to follow Jesus. So if you who has served and is still serving, my hat's off to you. I have this privilege of knowing a Filipino couple who are missionaries in Mexico. His name is Mon and Emmy, and their last name is Lukban. They left the Philippines decades. Mexico, learn the language, and become missionaries there. I follow their stories on Facebook, and so as far to date, as far as they had what they have done, they were already able to plant five churches in Mexico. He has been here, he's visited. But in November to December of 2020, at the height of COVID-19, Mon was hospitalized uh, due to COVID, and he thought he was heaven-bound. One by one, the patients with him inside the ward started dying. He thought it was soon his turn. However, he never stopped sharing the gospel despite his condition. So in December of 2020, December 11, this was what he has posted on his Facebook journal. And I quote, he said, he wrote, right now, our ward of death is now the ward of life. I have figuratively hammered a new sign above our doorway. This place is under new management. Jesus, the giver of eternal life, reigns here. All who pass this ward will surely hear word. I have dealt with a lot of nurses here who are backslidden Christians. I was able to counsel many and restored some always insisting that over and beyond the healing of their patients' bodies, they have to prepare them for eternal life. 
I wish I have more time to read more about his inspiring posts to you, but this is just a glimpse of how it will be for those who are totally sold to Jesus' lordship in their lives. Despite his circumstances, he was able to say, my heart is so full right now. Dying to self is hard and difficult. But the irony is that the lordship of Jesus Christ is actually good for us. Because once we are fully surrendered to his lordship, we will be able to experience the fullness of God's blessing in our lives. Let me show you what I mean by that based on what Jesus said. Luke 6, 46 to 49. We read the first part earlier. 46 says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. That's what Jesus said. And building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground. Foundation. The moment the torrent struck the house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. In this lifetime, we will have troubles and problems. However, if we are firmly grounded in the Lordship of Jesus Christ, He will never be shaken no matter what life brings us. Instead, we will experience this deep, abiding peace and joy in our lives that cannot and will not be stolen from us. That, my friends, fullness of God's blessing in our lives. You know, one of the biggest decisions I've made late in life is to enter or attend the seminary. I say late in life because I must confess I was already in my late 40s when I married. I come from a secular business background and it was difficult, a difficult decision considering that the job uncertainty of people coming out of the seminary was high. One of my friends, in fact, came to me and said, hey, Paolo, why don't you take up nursing? It's only two years. It's job security, and of course, it's financially rewarding compared to three and a half years of seminary degree. Well, with my wife's support, we, I say we, we decided to take a leap where I felt God was calling me. And so I want to let you all know that I stand here before you today because the God who changed the course of my life 37 years ago has never, ever left me. He remained faithful to his promises up to this day. I'd say I would have never found such purpose and meaning in my life if I did not yield to that call more than a decade ago. I don't have time to share details right now, but I wish. 
But please hear me. You don't need to attend a seminary or become a missionary for you to fulfill the purpose of God in your life. Unless, of course, he calls you to specifically do so. My point is this. At whatever stage of of life you are in, I want to let you know that you can never ever go wrong in life when you are fully submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so this is my exhortation for you today, church. Come, taste and see that the Lord and His Lordship is good. Regardless of what we think or believe, regardless of what the world thinks, the truth stands. Jesus is Lord. There's no question about that. I believe the question we need to ask ourselves today is this. Is Jesus Lord of my life? Let's bow down our heads. Church, I don't know how the message spoke to you this morning, but God wants to do business with you. And so there are people here in front who are wanting to pray for you, and I'd like to invite them here to respond in prayer. Whatever God is telling you through His Word or the Holy Spirit, People want to pray for you. You may pray on the front pews, whether it has to do with your finances, whether it's a health issue, whether it's relationship with children, your spiritual walk, your commitment, your decision-making, or an area where you struggle to surrender to Christ. People here are willing to pray for you. You come. God is inviting you to do business with Him today. Respond in prayer.